not too many surprises with the brackets, but some things that we do want to point out here. This is our Selection Sunday special for Fall 2021, D3FB style, here on Season 14 of In the Huddle. Frank Rossi, James Baker, we are uh, in the D3FB huddle. For those of you that aren't uh, aware of who we are, uh, I've got that right there too. I, I guess I'm too short for my own good. But uh, we uh, have some folks, I'm sure, that have not watched this before. They're tuning in to hear why their team was left out or why their team is facing who they are on the road, at home, or what later rounds look like. So we're going to go through this bracket quarter by quarter, or quadrant by quadrant, I guess we call it. And we'll have Dewey Nats, the selection committee chair, joining us later on in this show. But JB, I always like to give you the first uh, words here as to your takeaways. Uh, we didn't have much time to look at the bracket coming into this, obviously. But uh, we, we did get some information uh, that we got through in terms of questions uh, to Dewey. But before we give all that away, your thoughts. Well, things kind of worked out in certain ways like we thought, and then there were a couple of little surprises here and there because we did see a little bit of inconsistencies going on with uh, the way that each individual rack was working. And it helped certain teams, and it kind of sunk others' uh, playoff hopes. So uh, definitely a a great field of 32 teams, and we said from day one that there were going to be a handful of one loss and and really strong deserving teams that aren't going to get in it's just the way it goes and we'll get into some of the financial and geographical you know elements of that but overall you know kind of what we expected to a certain extent as far as who are the you know number ones potentially and twos so on and so forth it's going to be some great football uh coming up real soon so uh, you know by now who the Pool C's were. Uh, let's just kind of review them uh, out loud here from Region 6, uh, UW Lacrosse, and Bethel. Bethel was a wild card with two losses. They are the only two-loss team in the, fi- in the field from Pool C. Uh, in Region 5, Wheaton. In Region 4, nobody. Region 3 was Birmingham Southern. Region 2, Johns Hopkins. Region 1, nobody. So the five teams again, Lacrosse, Bethel. Wheaton, uh, Birmingham Southern, Johns Hopkins. Now, we sort of guess, we can't confirm this, they won't tell us, but here's what we do know. Johns Hopkins was ranked ahead of Ithaca in Region 2. That's how Johns Hopkins can even be picked in that situation because they have to be on the table. The top team, not picked so far from each region, goes up against each other, those six teams from the six regions. So Ithaca was blocked by Johns Hopkins. The assumption here is that Ithaca's criteria probably would have trumped Bethel's if it really came down to it, or any other team that would have been on the board that late. I believe Ithaca never got to the table, folks, and that's why you're seeing Johns Hopkins in there, and that was probably the fifth and final pool C. That's my guess. I think that's your guess as well, seeing how this played out. So we go to the brackets themselves, and I I see you have a thought. Go ahead. I don't want to cut you off on it. Well, it's just, yeah, I mean, we we had a sense that the way that the the Region 2 or Rack 2, whatever you want to call them, they, they did a lot more of the eye test and they gave a lot of, you know, bump to the Centennial Conference. I mean, when you look at the criteria, Hopkins doesn't necessarily grade out that well, but they have uh, some matchups coming up where they can make a case for themselves. If they could, you know, have a, a pretty deep playoff run, then maybe they can tell guys like me to shut up. 
But hey, um, I'm not surprised they, they made it in on one hand, but when you look at their resume compared to others, uh, it's, it, it, you'd be called into question. But just the structure of stuff, like you said, the teams blocked other teams from getting to the table, and that's what happened. Let's look at the uh, bracket and uh, explain why some of this stuff came together in our own words, and then Dewey Nats will tell us a little bit more after this. Uh, and point out any surprises you see along the way here. We're going to start in the upper left-hand uh, portion of the bracket. St. John's Lake Forest. So if you thought there was favoritism for the former chair, Jim Catanzaro, you'll learn right <laughs> away that's not the case. Undefeated versus undefeated, I hear. That only happens, I believe, twice in the entire bracket of undefeated versus undefeated in the first round. And uh, this is one of two times. The other uh, instance of it is actually in this quadrant just below it. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. But Lake Forest goes 10-0 and after beating Chicago yesterday. St. John's holds on, comes back to win at the last second against Bethel in the Mayak Championship. What a game. And there you go. That's the matchup. This is what we call the island quadrant because below them, you'll see a forced flight no matter who wins in that first round. Uh, Linfield and Redlands, uh, they will not have to fly to each other, but somebody's got to fly somewhere in the second round, uh, no matter what happens here. And then for the similar reasons, Mary Harden Baylor and Trinity, Texas, uh, we looked it up after talking to Dewey, and uh, if you hear any uh, discussion about you know why not flip the teams here, the answer is it's seven plus hundred miles, no matter how you do the permutations of the four teams in the uh, bottom part of this quadrant. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor takes on Trinity, Texas. No flight needed there, but there will be a flight needed in the second round for Birmingham Southern Huntingdon versus the winner of the Mary Harden Baylor Trinity game. Uh, mm. There's a rematch there, JB. We'll let Dewey tell you why, but your initial thoughts here on this quadrant. Well, the obvious thing that jumps out to me, Frank, is that it looks like St. John's is the number one. And we talked about whether or not that they would be you know, deserving of that. And I'm sure that some crew fans are going to be a little disappointed given how highly they've been ranked all season in the national polls. seems to me that they ended up with a, effectively a two seed in this section. And so that's kind of a surprise to me, especially the, how St. John's has, has struggled a little bit. I mean, they, they lost their starting QB, and that's part of the part of the issue. But it does seem that St. John's, who I made a case for last week as a possible number one, ended up in that situation. Are you surprised or upset at all that Bethel was a uh, choice for Pool C uh, in terms of losing twice uh, with a SOS around 570, uh, give or take? Um, granted, the loss was our losses were both to the same team, St. John's. Uh, does it bother you at all that a team like Harden Simmons with one loss is left out, even Merchant Marine at one loss is left out, and Bethel is selected in this situation? Kind of, yeah, um, especially with, the, with how close um, Harden Simmons you know, gave uh, you know, the Crusaders such a good run for their money. But ultimately, when you look at this, when you look at the bracket, Frank, um, you know, there's there's a sort of a natural sort of southwestern pod here that we talked about before. And there's, you know, a couple of Texas teams, a couple of teams from Alabama. They matched up well. And clearly the the committee, you know, so, you know saw that as an obvious situation. And unfortunately, there's only four spots and, and Harden Simmons just couldn't you know work their way in there. And I was a little exuberant to get you the bottom left portion of the uh, bracket here uh, up. And so now we've got it up here at the right timing. And we'll see that it is Wisconsin Whitewater hosting Greenville. That makes sense. Uh, that's mm -hmm. that's not like an undefeated versus undefeated there. 
Uh, and we believe that Whitewater, as a result of being positioned here, is another one seed, uh, ultimately. Yep. Uh, DePaul uh, versus Rose Holman, which is kind of a... I, I'm not sure. I, I, it's going to be a good game, I think, but I, I'm not sure 8-2 and two versus 8-2, and two, how you put that together. Although mm. DePaul is a deceiving 8-2, and two, technically 8-1 versus D3 opponents right. this season. Central versus Bethel. That's a pretty strong game if you're really th- yeah. giving Bethel that level of touting by picking them in the, as a pool C with two losses. So that's kind of the head-scratcher for me is why the selection of DePaul, Rose-Holman, and then Central Bethel to face each other here. And then Wheaton versus Aurora. Aurora, look, um, yeah, it's kind of ironic. They lose to North Central pretty badly, and Wheaton, who narrowly uh, loses to North Central, is now the other CCIW uh, team that will have to actually host Aurora in this situation. So, uh, you know, a little bit of irony there to see if they play better against Wheaton than they did against North Central Aurora in this quadrant. Your thoughts on the bottom left? Yeah, well, initially I was because I, I seem to recall in years past, Frank, that the you know sort of the bot you know the bottom you know this we where the position that Wheaton's on the bracket right now would be considered the two C, but I think in in the way this bracket's designed, that's actually central, um, and so Wheaton would be effectively like your your three in this situation, and um, you know a lot of people are going to think that the thunder are going to you know probably work their way you know out of here and ultimately end up facing uh whitewater in uh in the quarterfinals but you know the central team seems really strong really loaded blaine haskins has got some crazy statistics so if there was any possible sort of dark horse i think at least on this left side of the bracket to make it into um the national semifinals it could be central I, I agree with you. Uh, they, they're they kind of that unknown quantity to a certain degree. We learn little pieces about them throughout the season, and even in the spring. Uh, they look like a decent team, but we could never put our finger on just how strong they might be, even you know through the spring, through the fall. They've yeah. been handily winning. And let's face it, I just would, lo- I would sit back and just love to watch you and the guys try to do a central versus north central national championship game. it's <laughs> north central central here yeah central north central oh my god okay you know, that, that would be a you know it's a it's it's a long shot but you know when you I know, look, you I know mean, the one i want though you know one i've always wanted is union mount union and it still hasn't mm-hmm. happened after all these years and it almost happened i think this mm-hmm. go around so there is uh, two of the, or there are two of the uh, quadrants. Let's go to the bottom right. We'll just go rotational here, and uh, look at the oh uh, Mount Union <laughs> quadrant. <laughs> Speak mm. of the devil. Uh, it is Mount Union versus Washington and Lee, and I got to think that Washington and Lee made this an easy matchup for the uh, yep. committee by losing yesterday and giving them uh, this uh, opportunity to pair them up and. This has got to be somewhere right in that vicinity of uh, that 500 to 600 miles. I didn't look beforehand, but I was it really, seems like a long trip. Yeah, I mean, that, that part of southern Virginia to central Ohio has got to be, you know, pushing the, the 550 marker thereabouts. I was really convinced that they would pair up Washington Lee and Salisbury just based on the little more geographic um, proximity. But 
this matchup kind of makes sense. You know, three Raiders are going to be really so it's yeah. not as far as, as I would five. think. So that that might have um, that might have solved the you know the equation there because obviously you know a team from Worcester like Anna Maria or or Framingham for that matter to to Alliance might be you know around the same ballpark. So they had they had a number of choices. Um, you know, this is kind of what I'll call like the you know the Pennsylvania um, you know Mid Atlantic bracket. Um, ultimately. Mount Union is going to be favored to come out of it. It looks like the committee actually, you know, gave the two seed to DelVal, um, and so you'd have to assume that if both the Aggies and the Mules win their respective games, that that you know battle of Pennsylvania. Uh, and we did say back in 2019 that we thought that perhaps the two best teams from the formerly East Region were muhlenberg and delval they didn't get to play each other but now they will and we'll see who comes out on top for a chance to probably uh try to knock off mountain union if they can well, once by the time they weren't actually uh, muhlenberg was in the south while um delval yeah. was in the east but they still wouldn't put put them together despite all that uh, fact mm-hmm. so we're now uh with them both in uh well actually delval in region one and muhlenberg in region two they finally decided to uh, go cross region for that type of matchup and it will be interesting i think but then, look, a little bit of uh, irony in the uh, other way. Uh, and, of course, DelVal and Muhlenberg have to win their first-round games. I should not take anything for granted in this one. Uh, we uh, mm-hmm. talk about this stuff. But the, in the first round itself, Maryland, it's going to be a battle of Salisbury and Johns Hopkins. Now, it's not as close as you think in terms of distance because the peninsula that Salisbury is on, you still have to take some uh, interesting paths to get over to Baltimore. It can be a hellacious drive in traffic. So it is not exactly a hop, skip, and a jump for uh, those wondering. Maybe on a Saturday morning uh, it will be uh, next week. But Salisbury, Johns Hopkins, and uh, there's Johns Hopkins, probably your last Pool C team. Uh, they should be playing the "We're just happy to be here" uh, game, and uh, maybe they come out and just say, "We're we're in the house money right now, so let's go out and yeah. give it all against Salisbury, who we don't know if it'll be Billy Gant or uh, Jack Lanham as quarterback uh, for Salisbury." Uh, ultimately, I didn't see, I uh, didn't look in the uh, box score yesterday, see who started, but obviously Lanham was fighting injuries, trying to come back. Billy Gant did a good job for Salisbury in the meantime. Uh, Delval, Anna Maria. Hey, Anna Maria, congratulations. We didn't get to say it much yesterday, but Coach Moroni yep. and company, uh, unbelievable story there. For those that don't know it, look up all the times we've talked about the idea of Moroni and what he's about over there and how he's just ignited that team out of nowhere into a playoff situation this year. And kudos to Anna Maria for patience in terms of the administration mm-hmm. with what he was delivering there, and he got it to work. Muhlenberg and Framingham State, you know, if this game was 10 weeks ago, it would be Muhlenberg all day, every day. This Framingham State team is a different team from what we saw scrimmage Brockport back when, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, I believe that was the scrimmage they had. Uh, it's just night and day. Tom Kelly deserves so many kudos. It's got to be him versus Maroney for Coach of the Year in Region 1. No, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the Rams are a totally different team now, and they they really separated themselves from from the pack and the MASCAC, You know, dominating particularly you know Bridgewater State in the last um, you know basically championship game. This is not a, a slam dunk win for Coach Milne and the Mules. That they'll they'll have a you know a sizable um, defensive and offensive lines to deal with uh, from Framingham. Um, they're going to bring their 
their best shot at, at, at Muhlenberg. And even though the mules would be favored, uh, this could be one of the more interesting, potentially closer uh, first round games. We'll see. And in the upper right, let's go to North Central, Carnegie Mellon. I mean, by win-loss record, it makes sense, but I, I feel like it's almost more of a distance necessity than anything else that they uh, did this to Carnegie Mellon because Carnegie Mellon played some strong teams and won uh, against some strong teams as well. So it's a little tough to see this one as a first-round matchup for some folks. Uh, then Albion hosting lacrosse. Okay. I can't <laughs> figure out... I mean, remember, lacrosse has one loss to Grand Valley State, which is D2. So yeah. technically, I don't know how they would grade out lower than Albion is such that Albion's hosting, but uh, apparently that's what happened. We'll have to take them at face value here uh, for yeah. what they did here. Um, SUNY Cortland at uh, hosting Springfield. Uh, this makes mm -hmm. sense, obviously, the three losses for Springfield. And it'll be interesting to see the triple option team against Cortland to see if shortening the game against Cortland, somehow they could sneak a win in. I, it's not impossible for the Springfield team to do that. And Endicott hosting RPI. We do talk about this in the interview. We'll get to this in a minute, uh, so we won't uh, spoil the information. But it is the more losses hosting the less losses in this situation. Yeah. Uh, and that is all D3 losses. That's not like a uh, Albion versus a lacrosse scenario, for instance. Um, so take note we'll be asking about that in a second but again your thoughts on the upper right hand quadrant of this bracket yeah it's just it's funny the some of the the teams where they've been seated and and who's hosting and who's not is just kind of not what you would expect um but i think at the end of the day there may be some liberties taken over the fact that north central has been so dominant that uh, you know other than maybe you know lacrosse and and ncc in the second round it will be must see tv um but yeah whoever wins that game is going to be heavily favored to come out of this this uh bracket uh with a shot with a shot at the national championship i think it's time to bring in our selection committee chairman dewey nats the last time he was uh selection committee chair was actually in 2016 so he came back for more yeah I, I apparently mm -hmm. he he enjoyed it so much, he wanted to do it again. But uh, Dewey Nats has been a friend of the show uh, that year when he came on and uh, when we've seen him out as just a, a normal committee member uh, before being chair again. Um, he's always been warm and welcoming and uh, truly Wisconsin. Uh, you'll notice that about him uh, through and through. And uh, that's what, one of the things we do love about him. He is uh, simple in terms of his answers. He, he doesn't try to give you the uh, runaround and Yep, it, it's, it's 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 uh, refreshing to say the least. It, just like Jim Catanzaro, Jim uh, had the same, uh, I think, wherewithal to understand trying to play the semantics game doesn't work, especially with the number of years we've been doing this. So it's good to have a straight shooter talk to us. Here is our selection committee uh, chair for this year, Dewey Nats, in our discussion with him. Dewey, it's been a few years. Great to see you this time. Last time was on audio, and uh, we do appreciate your time after what I know has been a long couple of days uh, and weeks, for that matter, for selection committee. I just want to jump in right away here with the first question that a lot of people have been wondering. Uh, normally, we have a four-region system, or previously at least. We had a four-region system with, I believe, two co-chairs in each region. So there were eight voices, at least, uh, in every call from what I uh, remember. 
how does yep. it work now? How did this uh, change things going to six regions for this part of the selection process that you're involved with? Well, uh, just going back to how the process worked, I think you had a little bit different breakdown and a smaller group of people, a smaller group of conferences and schools to look at within each region. So I think I think it helped us dial down and drill down a little bit further. We were a little apprehensive going in because it's always been a, a four region bracket and really kind of put itself together that way. But the six regions, it was different to begin with, but I think as things came to the, to the table yesterday and throughout the last couple of weeks of rankings, we figured out a, a pretty good plan. And I think it actually, when we got to, to selecting pool C's, having six teams on the board at one time made a difference and kind of helped dial things in a little bit better for the national committee. So it worked out pretty well. And just to be clear, are there is there just one representative from each region uh, in the six uh, pro, six way process, or is it two still per? Um, it's one per region is the plan, so that's where it's going to be at, and and it worked out pretty well, like I said. So, so uh, so Dewey, one of the things that obviously um, the football fans out there will immediately focus in on with the bracket are the are the pool c teams um they've been revealed we we know who they are uh maybe some commentary on like what was the experience like um you know overseeing that this time around you know it's really hard as it always is this this bracket is very difficult to dial in when you have five at larges across a, a country of really really good football teams it gets really hard when it comes down to selecting those final five teams that get an opportunity to play another week. So the process is, I think, is a good one. It, it evolves and revolves around the accomplishments of each of those teams, the strength of schedule, they're across everything. So it's not just one category, it's everything. So their entire body work is important it's hard, it's difficult, but you know, I think the, the racks across the region, across the country did a good job of, of seating those teams appropriately. And that makes our job as a national committee when we start looking at those at-large teams that much easier for us. So it wasn't easy. And there's good football teams that aren't in this tournament like every other year, but I think the committee really did a, a pretty good job on getting the best at-large teams we could. Let's discuss a couple of the teams that might be looking at this saying, what the heck? Uh, and uh, there are one-loss sure. teams, essentially. Harden-Simmons, Merchant Marine uh, are both one-loss teams that were uh, left out. Uh, and Bethel is a two-loss team that comes in. Now, there was a lot of discussion out there about how do you treat a team like Bethel that loses twice to the same opponent uh, in terms of St. John's. And obviously, yesterday was with a virtually zero on the clock. They lose that game against St. John's. A quality team, quality SOS, but not trying to put words into your mouth, but the two loss versus one loss scenario is tough for some people to swallow. We want to give you the opportunity to lay out why that happens, especially to a team like Harden-Simmons that had a narrow loss to Mary Harden-Baylor earlier in the season. You know, it, it's difficult. It really is. And, and the teams that you're mentioning are very good football teams and it's too bad this bracket isn't bigger and we can put 10 more teams in it that that deserve the opportunity but 
I think there's a committee and as a rack groups in each region, everybody has to look at each team's entire body of work. So that involves strength to schedule. It involves win percent. You know, you guys know and understand what that involves. But I think a lot of it came down to numbers of wins versus ranked opponents was a key component. And I think having those six regions that we talked about made a difference in numbers of wins and games against ranked opponents. So my heart goes out to those teams. I've had good football teams in the past that have stayed home because we just didn't have enough wins and, and wins. And it's hard. It really is. And, and I feel for those teams. But I think as a whole, the entire body work, I think our, our committee and the racks across the country did a good job. Yeah, certainly. And um, although we, we have noticed, at least in this iteration, that um, you know, teams from conferences that, that only really get that one out-of-conference game and their the schedule is kind of affected by that, may have gotten a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we saw, you know, Hopkins getting in, you know, their, uh, their, their SOS wasn't necessarily as, as strong as, let's say, like an Ithaca's, but they only have the one loss to the conference champion. I mean, were some of those things factored in with with these you know conferences that have uh, a larger um, you know slate they have to go through, and, and it kind of affects their their SOS accordingly. Yeah, it's difficult, and, and we are aware of, but it isn't a criteria. Is the number of non conference games that some of these teams can play across the country? So, some conferences you only have the ability to play one out of conference game, and maybe only have an opportunity to play two and that affects your strength, you know? So one guaranteed way to, to get in this tournament is to win the AQ. And that's difficult as we all know, because there's some great football teams across the country. That's the only guaranteed way to get in the tournament. And if you're not going to win your conference, you need to play good non-conference games and, and beat them. But the hard part of that is like you guys mentioned is, the ability to schedule those games is difficult for certain conferences too. It's travel related, it's cost related, it's it's where you know other conferences may not want to play that you know. So there's a lot of pieces that go into it, but it makes it really hard. And we try to do the best we can, as as all committees do across all sports. So we've heard in the past that primary criteria are tough to just use without going to the secondary criteria when it comes to football because of the lack of results in uh, some of the secondary criteria include expanding to your entire win-loss record and possibly looking at the last quarter of the season when there's really close scenarios uh, between teams did you find the need to go to secondary criteria when it came to pool C selection especially because of some of the closeness of some of these teams yeah I think I think to a point, you know, we really try to stick to the primary criteria as much as we can. And I think most people understand in football with 10 games, the difficulty of, of just those criteria is really hard. If we could play 40 football games, I think the primary criteria would take care of everything. So it doesn't. So we look at, at all of the pieces. So at times I do believe the secondary criteria becomes becomes that next step that can help a committee try to dial in a little bit tighter. So absolutely. Dewey, did the, um, 
basically the missed season last year due to COVID and, and obviously, you know, many schools um, have had their budgets impacted. The NCAA has obviously had its budget impacted across the board. Um, were, were those financial considerations something that the national committee had to, to, to factor into some of these choices? I mean, it looks like you know, there, there aren't going to be a, a ton of flights until probably, you know, quarterfinal round. We're seeing a rematch of Huntington and Birmingham, um, which is, you know, maybe due to, to cost measures. Uh, could you speak a little bit on, on that point? Yeah, I think as a, as a national committee and working, I've worked with this committee in the past, and I think cost and budget impact at our level is always a factor. And I think it's something that we always keep at the back of our mind or maybe even a little bit closer to the front than that is we have to be conscious of that and use that to some extent as we put a bracket together because budget does have an impact and things are a little tight right now across the country and everywhere. So, I mean, common sense is something we took into consideration we needed to, so. Now, some people, would, yep, some people would ask a question, why not pair Mary Harden-Baylor uh, with one of the Birmingham Southern or Huntington just to avoid the rematch uh, situation between Birmingham Southern and Huntington? Uh, can you speak to maybe why that rematch was so uh, necessary? Is there a 600-mile scenario there that I'm not uh, seeing? Why, why force the rematch in round one, which we know is one of the things that is attempted to be avoided, although this is a non-conference rematch, which we know does get a certain level of forgiveness ultimately between Birmingham Southern and Huntington? You know, I think part of the discussion as a group when we started to talk about it was the fact that with the, the 2020 season and not having a, a championship bracket, that most of the players on these teams that are in the tournament maybe haven't played against each other. So that year after year matchup that maybe used to take place or was something that happened more often that we felt this time around going back to those closer matchups in certain situations to avoid flights was was warranted and an opportunity for new coaches, new players to play against play against teams and help us keep that that budget focus in our you know, in our back of our mind, I guess. So Yeah, I, I think um, when we before we got on the air, Frank was going to uh, mention this one, but I guess I'll steal it from him. Um, we just wanted to to clarify, you know, one of the things that might jump out to these the East Region uh, fans who follow us and have known our show for a while, you know, the RPI, um, you know, going on the road in the first round playing at Endicott, that wasn't a situation that the you know the president of RPI basically said no home game. This was actually a decision that kind of came out through the um, the seating and, and and ranking process. Is that correct? Yeah, we as we start to put the bracket together, we the top top I guess the top or ranked teams within regions. As we started to put the bracket together, typically were hosts for the first round games. If that makes sense. So, as far as RPI and anything with. With their institution, that was not part of the discussion as far as deciding who hosted or didn't. It has more to do with where teams are ranked within their regions in comparison as we put the bracket together. So. And one thing uh, we should know is, uh, and we didn't get a chance to mention this on our Friday show, uh, Shirley Jackson, president of RPI, did change some of the approach on 
uh, fan uh, rules for their athletic events. So it would have actually allowed in some format, it sounds like, the ability to host. So this is just to get rid of all the uh, conspiracy theorists out there. This was completely a criteria-based decision, as you just said. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so looking at the overall bracket, the upper left is obviously the uh, teams, kind of, uh, we call them the island teams in terms of the 600-mile rule affects them the most, and you've minimized flights with them. Were there other any other locational challenges when you put this uh, together? For instance, we've always heard that there's so many East Region teams, uh, especially in the New England area. It, did you feel a need to break from, let's say, using criteria and trying to keep groupings of the, you know, one, eight, two, seven, three, six, four, five, all that stuff. Were you at all challenged in that respect because of the density of teams in certain zones uh, that we see in Division Three? Yeah, and I think uh, as we're conscious of budget and trying to keep things in matchups and and things as as we go through the bracket, we there's always challenges that pop themselves up and. Okay, how can we get a, a team to play this and provide that quality championship experience without putting somebody on a bus for 598 miles because it fits right under the, the window? You know, this is a, a new pilot because of certain travel restrictions and the difficulty with some flights nowadays that, yeah, as you start putting that together, and I think the East Coast, I think, is a little bit easier sometimes because there's more schools that are in close proximity. I think some of the more difficult pieces come into the, like you guys mentioned, the island schools or the the, the Northwest or the, the West Coast and the Texas, but you also run into that sometimes in, in the Midwest as far as, because the Midwest reaches a long way. So I think, I think the committee did a, a good job of getting some different matchups, but yet still keeping the budget in the back of our mind as we put the bracket together, so... If I could follow up on one thing, J.D., sure. you know, nat nationally we try to, or it sounds like uh, the committee tries and we try along with you now to figure out who the ones and the twos are to start potting up from there and by pods, four teams, uh, including that team. Uh, and so you try to take the top eight teams, it sounds like every year, assign ones and twos and then go from there. If I'm reading this correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you can, it seems like the ones were St. John's, Whitewater, Mount Union, and North Central. Were those the natural number ones, or was there another geography factor that came in that maybe prevented, for instance, Amir Hart and Baylor from being a one? And let me just say, ask you the other question, which is, did you have to use the uh, results in previous year's playoff uh, results to basically create who your number ones and number twos were for the undefeated teams? Well, you know, I, I going to answer this politically correct. And, and I, there is, we don't see the bracket, but obviously the, as you start to put together games with the top ranked regional teams, obviously that you can see who home games are and who's hosting and things like that. But you know, in a year like this, pretty as far as ones and twosies, that that it really doesn't come into play. I think there's there's a lot of one loss teams and zero loss teams that are are very good football teams, and I think as a committee, we think anybody can win that. So it's an unseated bracket. So I can't sit here and say this team and that team is who is where and what. But as far as uh, 
good football teams that could potentially match up and meet each other at some point. I think that's what a bracket's for. So I think there's some fantastic matchups in this bracket, and they're going to happen fairly early in the tournament, which there's so I think looking back at the other years I served on this committee, this year the number of undefeated and one-loss teams is more or higher than it's ever been. So I think there's going to be some great first-round games, but second-round, third-round opportunities where some teams that it's going to be pretty interesting bracket. Dewey, uh, from what we hear last uh, go around in 2019, the final team selected, and you don't have to confirm this, uh, we, we know somebody that kind of sort of did, but we won't uh, name names on this. Uh, the final team selected wins the national championship ultimately. And so we're not asking you who the final team is, but we're kind of asking you to give some advice out there or some uh, thoughts about how important Pool C is in the mix and how long did it really take you to pick those five teams and how long did it take you to put the entire bracket together for that matter what what is the kind of distribution of time that you have to put into this uh, scenario for pool c and then the bracketing itself uh, there's a lot of time and there's some serious there's a lot of difficulty when you get down to those and i you know our racks we started meeting with our regional committees two or three weeks ago got started with those and i think we've really as a national committee drilled down into those racks to make sure they do their homework, that they're ranking the teams the way they should be and not because, well, I think that team's better because they have a really good quarterback or a, a good wide receiver and their defense is just so good that they actually use the, the criteria. And when the rack does a good job, it makes the national committee's job easier because we don't have to we have the information from how the RAC discussed and talked through things when we get to, to hammer things out. So um, it takes a little longer because we have to wait till the West Coast and the last games of the of the final game of the Saturdays finish up. And then our RACs start with their meetings and those take anywhere from, you know, a 15-minute meeting to an hour, depending upon if there was upsets yesterday or different things. Our regional, our national committee then, goes through and looks at each region um, once they're all done. And last night, I think our, our last our last regional call was Region 6 and because of West Coast games and, and looked at that. So that was, I think our call last night was at 8 o'clock. And then when that's done, the National Committee gets together. We talk through and look at to make sure each, each rack in each region is, is seated the way it should be. Um, at that point, then we start getting into the Pool C discussion of which teams we think are worthy of that. And like I said, there's eight, nine, or ten of those teams out there that were worthy and and how you go through that. So each region then puts up their top at-large candidate onto the board. And then we talk about those six schools. And, I, and when I mention it, before, that used to be four schools on the board. So when we were four regions, it was four. Last night when we put six up there, I think that helped us as a national committee. You could see a little bit more division between those six schools and just having four up on the board. So I think it takes time. I think we left the offices last night about midnight. So by 
you know, last night, it, it still takes time to vote and talk through those pool C's. Once we did that, then we kind of get a preliminary bracket put together. We finalized that this morning and begins working on site reps and who's going to host and that whole process and officials. So it takes a while. Um, but I think we, we owe it to the teams out there to do our due diligence and make sure that we hammer away at, at the entire body of work of everything they've done to, to do the best job we can at the top at large, top five at large that we can. Is there going to be teams unhappy they didn't make it that are worthy? They do deserve to be in <laughs> Yeah, I wish we could expand our bracket because, you know, as a coach many years ago, I was there and it hurts, but you got to do the best you can. And I think our committee works really hard to, to take the time to do it right. And, and I hope we did. And this tournament looks to be a fantastic tournament. So we're excited to get it going next yep. week. And we are yep, excited I, as well. I was just going to say, Dewey, I mean, it, it, I think you guys did a, a, a great job. You know, there were obviously certain constraints that have to be you know taken into consideration. We've been saying since day one that there was going to be at least, you know, a handful of teams that, that, deserve to get in that probably won't just because there isn't enough room. Um, but at the end of the day, don't yell at Frank, don't yell at Pat Coleman or D3Football.com. You know, we, we didn't pick the <laughs> didn't pick the field, right? Don't yell at me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to yell at you, Joey. You know, it's one of those things. It's just it, it, you guys have a, you know, a, a lot of professionals, a lot of people who know this way better than, than, uh, than fans do. So, you know, I, One thing uh, I want to say, though, uh, and I, I know he's the backbone. We say this every time uh, we have the chair on. Uh, he's in the background over there. He doesn't have to appear. J.P. Williams, uh, the liaison for football, among other sports, uh, is a tremendous uh, asset to you. Uh, your committee, we know that. And uh, real quick, you can thank him, obviously, but we always want to give you the final word, Dewey, on uh, you, you know just the overall thought of the process. Anything you think could be improved in the process, anything like that, floor is yours here for a couple minutes. Uh, Dewey, uh, and again, thank you for joining us. Well, first thing, I do want to thank J.P. Williams and the NCAA for allowing me the opportunity. This is my chance as a, a former football coach and director of athletics to give back to the game of football and be involved in a small way. And it helps me stay in it, I guess, a little bit. So I've appreciated that. I appreciate D3 football and the work that you guys do to promote our game and our game at this level. This, uh, in my mind, is the, the best level of football. The kids and student athletes that are out there competing at this level um, are doing it because they love the game of football combined with their educational experience. And I feel privileged just to be a part of it. So thank you, D3 football. Thank you, NCAA. And good luck to all the teams in the bracket. We're excited to get this thing going. Thank you to Dewey Nats. Thank you to J.P. Williams for organizing that. Uh, you know, every year we always kind of shudder at the thought that yeah, maybe they're not going to do this with us uh, and everything else, but they trust us enough to allow us to pre-record this before. Uh, you'll get to see it, and uh, we do our best here to uh, make sure that everything is tight-lipped uh, and uh, this doesn't release until afterward, and we do appreciate their trust in that. I shouldn't say we try to uh, do it. We do it. Uh, we are as uh, good as it gets there. Uh, the overall takeaway for me personally, I think it's a good bracket. 
I think there are some questions like every year. They can't project out flights necessarily in the second or third rounds, but I think there is a certain mandate that when the NCA looks at the bracket before they approve it, they want to make sure that there aren't these possibilities for these you know, endless flights in the second and third rounds. And that's what this bracket sort of ensures. North Central Cortland, I think, is a risk of a flight ultimately in a quarterfinal scenario. Uh, so you mm-hmm. might have a couple uh, opportunities for that. And I'm going to confirm that as I speak here. But it, it definitely is because when I, I moved from Geneva and upstate New York and drove to Chicago, which is you know not too far from Naperville, that's about a 12-hour drive. Um, that's a lot of miles. 739, <laughs> 739 to be exact. So, And that uses the official calculator that the NCAA uses. It is as the crow flies, I believe. And, or uh, you, Actually, I think it uses best routes. Now I'm thinking about this, uh, but nonetheless, you get the point that uh, there is a possibility for a flight in that quadrant. And again, we'll put that one up just so you can see what we mean by that. But overall, JB, I think this is a pretty good effort by them. I don't agree necessarily with with what Region 2 did in terms of their ordering of teams. I'm not going to lie about that. I think they could have done better there. And given Ithaca the benefit of the doubt, we will see the regional rankings probably tomorrow. Uh, the final set of regional rankings that might give us a little bit more information of why they went this way. Uh, maybe they gave extra regionally ranked opponents to Johns Hopkins or less to Ithaca because of the shakeout of yesterday's losses and wins. Uh, ultimately, we'll we'll see for sure. Most likely in the afternoon on Mondays when it's uh, last couple of go arounds been released to us. But uh, your thoughts, uh, final thoughts here. No, I think it's going to be, you know, a great tournament. Um, you can already see, you know, in the first round, there's going to be some some really great games. We have a couple of rematches, which, you know, unfortunately, you know, happens every year. But, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to some of these. Like, you know, that Central Bethel game, you know, looks great. Uh, Wheaton Aurora could be really interesting. Um, you know, Cortland Springfield, too, like you said, Frank, that how, you know, how does the triple option, you know, work? Uh you know, in, in the you know dead of winter in upstate New York and Hopkins Salisbury uh, as well. So there's there's no shortage of interesting matchups. Um, and, you know, not surprisingly, there are, you know, some very clear favorites who we think are going to advance all the way into the final four. What gets tricky, though, I mean, really that upper left-hand corner, when you look at the fact you have St. John's, Linfield, Mary Harden Baylor, I mean, those are all big names in Division Three, um, and so it's that that's pretty tightly packed up in there. It'll be interesting to see if the Crusaders can get through um, that that run there and and make it to the semifinals. Watch out! We will have ECAC bowl pairing announcements on Monday around twelve thirty p.m. We'll update the exact time as we get closer. We want to make sure we have enough leeway to get you the graphics and information you need. So for now, it's projected at twelve thirty Eastern time on Monday, and uh, you'll hear other bowl pairings from the New England Bowls and the uh, what is it, Max CC Bowls uh, that are coming up as well. Yep. There is no New York Bowl this year; uh, that is uh, obsolete now. So some of the teams that would have been in the running for that uh, did put in to be in the ECACs as well. And we don't know if we're going to have three or four in the end. That's being determined, I think, as we speak, uh, ECAC bowl games. So we'll uh, we'll probably surprise you with the information tomorrow 
uh, as to what the final decision is on three or four bowl games for the ECAC. Thanks again to everyone at the NCAA for uh, working with us uh, for this show, and we will see you Monday.